Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you here today. Thank you very much for coming out to Dundonald Elam Church. Uh, my name is Pip, for those who don't know, and along with Davy, we're part of the pastoral leadership of this church. And if you are here as a visitor, please make yourself known to us at the door. You're very, very welcome here. Today, we're, we're going to continue on our God Is series by looking at this title. God is holy. God is holy. Now, if I've ever felt inadequate when preparing for a sermon, it was when I tried to contemplate the enormity and magnitude of this topic over the last week. It's way above my comprehension, so I apologize in advance for (laughs) the inadequacy of this message. I would just love us to open in a word of prayer, if that's possible. Father, we thank you that you are great. There is no one like you. You are the name above all other names. And Lord, we dare to pray today that you would show us your glory, that you would open up the eyes of our heart and the understanding of our minds to just see how great, how wonderful, and how awesome you really are. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. You'll probably not be surprised to hear we're looking at this chapter today when we think about God's holiness. Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll start reading at verse 1. This is the inspired word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried, cried to another holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke so i that is isaiah said woe is me for i am undone Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Amen. And we know that God will his blessing to that reading from his word. The word holy is translated from the Hebrew word kadosh. 
K-A-D-O-S-H. Some people spell it with a Q. And the Greek word hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. And these words are just pregnant with meaning. Absolutely pregnant with meaning. And I encourage you, if you can, to take notes or listen back to the podcast a little bit later on when you get home, just so that we can try and remember some of the stuff we're thinking about here. The word holy means to be cut off, separated, or independent from all sin. God is absolutely pure, perfect, and excellent in every way, and he can have nothing to do with sin. All of creation has fallen. All of us have been affected and influenced by sin, but not God. He is totally cut off, separated and independent from sin. The word holy also means that God is totally other than. He is totally other than. He is totally different. He is totally distinct. He is utterly unique from everything else in a transcendent way. There is no one or nothing that can compare with him. If I was to ask you, who do you think is more like God? Is it the incredible angels we read about in Isaiah chapter six or or, or my little fingernail? The answer to that question would be neither because we cannot make a comparison with God. Those angels are no more like God than my little fingernail is like them. Both pale into absolute insignificance before him. There's no comparison. We might be made in God's image, but he is totally different, distinct and utterly unique from us. Exodus 15 verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, glorious in holiness? And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see this revelation of God's holiness and in it God is sitting on a a throne high and lifted up the throne is greatly elevated to emphasize the most high God there is none like him he has no rival he has no comparison he is holy God name above all other names holy means God is totally other than Another point here is that God alone is holy. God alone is holy. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says, there is no one holy like the Lord. I actually don't think holiness should be seen as a, a separate attribute of God on a, a list of his different characteristics because holiness speaks about the total glory of God. The word holy and glory in Scripture are very closely linked and holiness speaks about his total glory Isaiah 57 verse 15 God says my name is holy now we all know in in scripture that names are very important and often sum up the character of a person and the fact God's name is holy shows us and lets us see how holiness is not a separate part of his character but the summation, if you like, of all he is. 
It speaks about his complete majesty and his complete glory. It's manifested in every attribute of God. His goodness is holy. His grace is holy. His love is holy and so on. They're all perfect. Also, God's works are influenced by his holiness. His creation was perfect. His law was perfect. And his judgments are perfect. God's perfect holiness, it's not a separate part of his character. It reveals everything about who he is and it's revealed in all his works. His holiness is awesome. Look at the description of holy God in Isaiah chapter six. As mentioned, he's high and lifted up, but it also says that the train of his robe fills the temple. It's an amazing picture. And throughout history, the the clothing of monarchs Kings and queens have have always been a sign of status. The substance of their clothes is what they're judged by. And we'll all remember seeing uh, the the images of, of of Queen Elizabeth on her coronation day. The pomp, the ceremony was just magnificent, but it was the magnificence of her robes that stood out. Pages had to lift this robe, the train of her robe, because of its magnificence. But the train of God's robe billows out over his throne and it completely fills the temple. Isaiah is getting a visual of the majesty and magnificence of God. He's not getting a vision of a king. He's not getting a vision of a great king. He's getting a vision of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no one like our God. And then we read about these incredible angels. Isaiah 6 is actually the only mention of seraphim in scripture. But when we read John's vision in Revelation 4 of the the throne room of heaven, he describes angels there that are, are fairly similar. And these angels minister in the immediate and unveiled presence of God. And this privileged position is so piercing that they cannot even look at his utter holiness. With two wings, they cover their eyes. And it says they cry, cry to each other, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord of hosts. The threefold repetition of words we're often told is a, it's a technique in Hebrew grammar to greatly emphasize something. I don't think these angels are remotely interested in Hebrew grammar. They just can't stop crying holy. Now, Isaiah was not the only one in the Bible to, to be privileged to see the glory or, or holiness of God, which is interesting because in one of those encounters, God says in Exodus 33, verse 20, you cannot see my face and live. You cannot see my face and live. That was when Moses went up Sinai to get the 10 commandments and he went into the the clouds. Now Moses had something on his heart that day. He had seen God do just the most incredible miracles throughout that wilderness journey. But this day he wanted to ask for the big one. That day he said this, God, show me your glory. Show me your holiness. And God said to him, you cannot see my face and live. 
But then what God did was he put Moses in this rock and he, it says he covered Moses with his hand and he passed by with his back to him. Moses saw God's back. And when Moses came down from Sinai, it says his face shone with the glory of God. They had to put a veil over his face because the people could not cope because he had been in the immediate presence of God. From seeing his back, However, others like Isaiah were graced with a further revelation of God. And I say graced in the sense that they lived, that they lived. And when we read about these encounters people had with holy God, Moses in the burning bush, Joshua, Ezekiel, Paul in Damascus Road, John and Patmos, and so on. It's terrifying, folks. Yuzah, he was the guy who, when the Ark of the Covenant fell off the cart, he reached out to touch it. And the Ark of the Covenant represents the, the, the presence of God, the holiness of God. And he was immediately struck down dead. The Ark of the Covenant was so holy that it was kept behind the curtain, the temple curtain in the Holy of Holies. And only one day a year, the high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, only one day a year was he allowed to access the Holy of Holies. And Jewish legend tells us that when the, the, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would have a rope around his waist or his ankles so that if he dropped dead in the presence of God, they would be able to pull him out because nobody else would be able to go in. It's terrifying. A few weeks ago when I was preaching here about suffering, I said, I have a few questions that I really want to ask God about suffering. But after studying God's holiness, I'm thinking, are you serious, Kerr? There's no way you're going to ask God any of your epoxy questions. He is awesome. But the amazingness of God's grace is that we have access into his presence now. At the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. And that temple curtain, that visible barrier between us and God's presence in the Holy of Holies was ripped top to bottom to indicate we can now and God's grace have access into the Holy of Holies, access into the presence of a holy God. First Timothy 6 verse 6 says, God lives in unapproachable light, but now his presence is with us always. Whoa. His presence is with us always. The great Baptist preacher Spurgeon, who, the most quotable man, he said, I cannot endure the sight of God until I see him in Christ. And God cannot endure the sight of me until he sees me in Christ. It is a staggering truth that you and I in God's grace have access into holiness, his holy presence. However, God's holy presence demands response and this is massively important. It demands response. Throughout history, all those sovereign revival moves of God's Holy Spirit have been marked with a, and associated with a renewed sense of God's holiness. And the church of Jesus Christ in this land needs a fresh revelation of God's holiness. It needs revival. We only need to look at the apathy there is all over the church to understand this, it's remarkable, folks, 
that in Isaiah chapter 6, lifeless, inanimate, and unintelligent objects like doorposts had the sense to be moved and shaken by the presence of God, yet so many of us who are made in the image of God can remain indifferent. How many times have I remained unmoved or apathetic to his majesty? And there are many like me in the church across this land and that's why we need a fresh revelation of holiness because it demands response and it will change our lives. And we'll learn from Isaiah that the only response we can make to holiness is one of pure, unadulterated worship. The only response we can make to holiness is one of pure, unadulterated worship. God says in his word, be holy as I am holy. Now that's impossible for us. We'll never be like God, but we must strive in our lives to live one a life of worship as we honor him. We need a revelation of holiness, folks, that inspires pure, unadulterated worship. Worship that firstly holds nothing back. Nothing back. Phil Hills was chatting to him the other week and the way that only Phil can, can say this, he, he said to me about Joshua chapter five, when, when Joshua had an encounter with God and it says that, it was like Isaiah, it was a pre-incarnate encounter with Jesus and it says that Joshua fell on his face in worship but it wasn't enough. God said to him, take off your sandals too. <laughs> He was, on, he was on his face, but God said, take off your sandals too. Why? Because holiness demands worship that holds nothing back and gives its all. Secondly, holiness inspires worship that is reverent. Reverent. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And fear, of course, means reverence. Have we lost our reverence for God's presence? Have we lost the wonder of his presence, which is always with us? Folks, these angels in Isaiah 6 cannot even look at holy God. But how many times have I personally gone into church services with a blasé attitude and sing songs to him? That was nice. Say a few prayers. That was nice. Go through the motions and then leave unmoved. Too many times. And there are too many people in the church across this land that will do exactly the same things today. How dare we? How dare we? Maybe the next time we pray, we should take a few moments to actually just contemplate who it is we're praying to. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, how dare we make worship apathetic? How dare we make worship about us? Worship through song, for instance. I've been in too many churches in this land to see that one of the biggest divisions there is because worship has become all about people. What we like to sing, what we like, and not about God. God, forgive us. When we are truly worshiping God, we don't matter at all. It's not about us, it's about Him. He's the center when the music fades, it's all about him. He is center stage. Isaiah was undone 
before holy God, not worried about his significance, not worried about his issues, not worried about his self-esteem, undone. Worship is always about him and should be completely reverent. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And just on this point of reverence, can I plead with us please not to speak about God in a pally-pally way. Oh, God's my mate or the big man upstairs, that sort of language. Because in the light of infinite holiness, surely that sort of language is abhorrent. This is holy God, not some sort of mate, holy God. Yes, he's our loving father in heaven. He's everything we thought about last week, about who we are in Christ and infinitely more. He's father in heaven, but we're told to pray, hallowed be thy name. May your name be made holy, hallowed in my life. We need a revelation of holiness because here's the bottom line. See, if God showed up today in all of his holiness, none of us would be sitting comfortably in our seats. We would all be on our faces. Holiness inspires worship that is reverent. Thirdly, holiness inspires worship that is repentant. This vision of God's holiness, it was too much. It was too much for Isaiah. He was broken before God and painfully became aware of his sin. He talked about unclean lips, but that was because he had an unclean heart. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the mouth, a heart the mouth speaks. But so often our sinfulness can be revealed through our speech, actually. The moment Isaiah saw holy God, he became aware of sin. Light exposes darkness and there's no light. There is no light like God's holiness. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm going to be destroyed. How awful the thought of someone. I echo exactly what James said at the table earlier today. How awful the thought of someone standing before God, holy God on judgment day, having not accepted Christ. It's terrifying. If you're not a Christian and you are aware of your sin and your need of Jesus, please come and speak to one of us afterwards. We need a revelation of holiness that brings about true repentance in our lives and I want to put it to us today that actually evidence of true repentance is evidence of spiritual growth. Because the closer we get to a holy God, the more aware we become of our sin. That is what happens when we're exposed to holiness. The more we start to see wrong things in our lives that we previously hadn't thought were wrong. When we truly see God, we truly see ourselves. When we truly see God, we truly see ourselves and repentance increases with spiritual growth. The best biblical example I can actually give of this is the Apostle Paul. Listen to the progression of his language. In AD 55, he wrote what we call 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 15, verse 9, he says, I am the least of the apostles. Five years later, he wrote Ephesians. He didn't describe himself as the least of the apostles then. He had progressed, he had grown spiritually. And in chapter three, verse eight, he says, I am the least of all God's people. Two years later, after he progresses in 1 Timothy, as he's getting close to the end of his life, he describes himself in chapter one, verse 15, as the chief of all sinners. Look at the progression in his language. He's moved in seven years from being the least of the apostles to the chief of all 
sinners because the closer we get to holy God, the more aware we become of our sin. True repentance is a sign of spiritual growth and we need a revelation of holiness because awareness of our need to repent, folks, as we worship God is so important. Holiness leads to repentance that makes us humble. I often laugh when we pray prayers, Lord, keep me humble. Because the inference there is that by nature we are humble and we slip into pride. Nonsense. By nature we are selfish and proud to the core. We don't need to pray, Lord, keep me humble. We need to pray, Lord, break me and make me humble. And holiness that makes us aware of sin keeps us humble. We don't have this pious look at how spiritual I am or how great I am and all that I'm doing from God. No, we're the chief of sinners. And the more aware also that we become of sin, the more aware we become of what we've been forgiven from and the easier we will then find it to be able to forgive others. And holiness also leads to repentance that saves us from being judgmental. If you read Isaiah chapter five, what you will find is Isaiah saying there on a number of occasions, woe is you Israel, woe is you Israel, woe is you Israel. And the moment he gets a revelation of God, it becomes woe is me. A revelation of holiness stops us from being judgmental and pointing the thing, finger at people and saying, woe is you. Any Christian that finds it easy to judge or put other people down needs a revelation of holiness. It makes us humble, helps us forgive others and saves us from judgmentalism. Woe is me. Fourthly and finally, holiness inspires worship that is loud. Worship that is loud. Isaiah was undone, but after an encounter with God's holy grace, he finds forgiveness. His woe changes to hope, and he's brought to a place of, here I am, send me. Now, I think it's a remarkable change, and I think the remarkable nature of it is because he had seen this infinitely holy God and the fact that he knew when the angel came and touched his lips that he had been forgiven, that was a game changer for him. It was an absolute game changer and it brought him to a point, the professional prophet who had already been prophesying to say, here I am, send me. And he needed a revelation because you read on in Isaiah 6 and you'll see what sort of a nature his ministry was. It was a difficult ministry where he was told no one's going to listen to you. Did it shut him up? No, because he had seen God and he was still in that place of here I am, send me. Jeremiah encountered God and then he went on to have a 50-year ministry where he didn't see one convert. Many of us would want to take up that ministry, but God told him that would be the case before his ministry started. Didn't see one convert. He just got opposition. He was acquainted, he was acquainted with grief in the way that our Lord was. When we encounter holy God who has forgiven us, the joy thrills our hearts and it makes our mouths become open to make our worship loud. God in his grace lifted Isaiah from despair to go and speak. Holiness takes the nature of God's forgiveness to a completely different level, a loud level. I tell you this, folks, we're coming to an end. We need to encounter holy God that makes worship loud. I reckon it's impossible for us to encounter God and stay quiet. Over the next few months, we're going to be thinking strategically about how we can impact Dundonald tomorrow night. 
let's all be here to mix and mingle with the community. We're going to run Alpha in the new year. We'll give you more details about that. And we need every one of us to be loud and sharing the hope that is within us. And like Isaiah, we're going to face opposition. Of course we will. Will it shut us up? No, because if we've truly encountered God, our worship will be enduring, it will be loving, and it will be loud. When we just get how awesome God is, the fact he loves us, it becomes magnificent beyond belief. It's a game changer. Our worship will go to a new stratosphere, folks. It will go to a new stratosphere. Holiness is not a paralyzing truth. In God's grace, it's the most liberating truth because it takes us from woe to a commissioning place of here I am, send me. Worship team's gonna come up and, and, and join me on stage now. And we're gonna go into a responsive time of worship. Maybe if we could just have a little bit of musical patting Helen on the, on the keys, that would be wonderful. Let's all stand together. And let's close our eyes as I just bring this to a close and sum up what we've been thinking about. What an awesome God. Totally holy. Totally cut off. Separated from sin. Totally other than different, distinct and utterly unique in every way. There's no one like him. This is majesty beyond compare. I wonder in the light of God's love and grace, do we need to encounter holiness again? Do we need to encounter holiness again? Because this encounter will bring us to a fresh and a new place of true unadulterated worship. Worship that holds nothing back. That yes, gets on our faces, but we're like Joshua, metaphorically, we're also prepared to take off our sandals and give our all. Worship that is reverent and honoring. Hallowed be thy name. Worship that is repentant and worship that's loud. Worship that is loud. What an awesome God. Let's start to seek the face of this holy God afresh this morning as we come to sing to him. But before we do, Paul, just give us 30 seconds or so to reflect on what we've been thinking as we keep our eyes closed. And please just have a little think about who it is we're about to sing to. These angels can't even look at him. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And then let's make our worship loud. Yes, and how we sing, yes, and how we lift this roof, but in how it brings us to a fresh place that takes us into the week ahead, saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen.